I did. Oh, I said, okay. oh my god. Well, whatever. All right. So welcome to the two our gathered Catholic podcast with Father Rob Kroll and me, Jim Fellows. Father Rob, how are you? How's your Lent? You know, Jim, so far so good. Um, it's yeah, it's been a decent Lenten season so far. Uh, as we record, we're beginning a, a week long spring break here at the seminary. So a lot of the guys are gone. It's kind of a quiet house, and uh, it's nice having a little break. All right. Anything new or exciting? Or, uh... um, not really. Just this break, I guess. I can't think of anything else. Well, we did host a basketball tournament at our seminary this past weekend. We had yeah? six teams playing. In a, How'd you uh... shoot? Oh, no, no, no. I was a spectator, <laughs> believe me. Cheering them on to not victory, but second place, which is, which is still pretty good. Wow. How about you? Did you play? I, I, oh. I played basketball in like grade school. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I averaged uh, two points a season. Um, two, so Two more than my, I would have. So I did not play basketball. <laughs> wasn't my, uh, wasn't my, well, enjoyed watching it, but not my forte. Mm-hmm. So um, I ended up uh, starting uh, adoration at my church, and I went to the uh, 1 a.m. on Friday night shift. Mm-hmm. Um, and a friend of mine came and joined me, which was cool. I was a little nervous because I'm not as young as we used to be. Mm-hmm. And so 1 a.m. seemed a little bit daunting to me. Mm-hmm. But I went and I worked out like at 1130 and then um, that usually gets me kind of pumped up and then, a, you know, a cup of coffee and went to adoration. And then a buddy of mine shows up at adoration with me. And he, he's like, oh, I was just going to hang out in adoration with you for your first time. I'm like, that's cool. That is cool. How did he know you were going to be there? <laughs> well, I had told him I was going to be oh, there okay. and it said if he wanted to come, he could oh, come. And he showed up? That's awesome. I wasn't expecting him to show up. But then uh, we got done with adoration. We go outside and he's like, uh, I got cigars and bourbon. <laughs> wow <laughs> what a great tradition yes indeed so we went to the adoration of our lord and then we celebrated afterwards with a fine cigar and a little a snort of bourbon well, lucky nice. you yeah, yeah it was fun and you were up by 6 a.m as usual nonetheless yeah my i was dragging a little bit on saturdays <laughs> We're still well. We'll try to make through the Lent at least mm-hmm. with this commitment. But whew. wow, well, good I'm for you. I'm not as that, young as I used but to. But starting be. Uh, adoration in your parish—that's a—that's awesome. They do it twenty-four-seven. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, I'm a big fan. That's really that's spread, by the way. I think in recent the last number of years, adoration has become more popular in more parishes, and uh, some like yours has have perpetual adoration, which is which is a great thing. I think it's a great thing. I think it's. Um, did we ever talk about adoration? I can't remember if we talked about it. I don't think we've talked about it. I don't think we've adoration. talked about it. That is an underutilized service of the church, and I, I uh, we got to talk about it sometime because yeah. I'm a big fan. Mm-hmm. Amen. We have to. All right. We have hey, to talk about hey. it. There's no discussion no. on this one, Father. Listen, you You're... started this podcast. You can you can tell me to talk about anything <laughs> you want. Like, just me being all domineering. You know, it might be a good topic. <laughs> Speaking of topics, yes. what is today's topic, Father? Well, today we thought we would talk about a sacrament, and the first sacrament that we receive, which is the sacrament of baptism. Um, not too long ago, we had um, a liturgical feast called the Baptism of the Lord. 
that always comes towards the end of the uh, Christmas season. And uh, so we're going to talk about this wonderful sacrament that probably many, if not all, of our listeners have participated in or have received but may not know much about uh, on a theological and spiritual level. For many of us, of course, we're baptized when we're so young that we don't even remember the ritual. And uh, depending on our level of catechesis, we may or may not understand much about what happens at baptism and how the baptismal grace that we receive kind of is um, unfolding in our life. So we thought we'd talk about that today. Well, we especially don't understand it at that time when we get baptized because we're babies. <laughs> Correct. No Correct. understanding going on. Do you know, as we're talking, Jim, I have right in front of me, on taped on the wall, a photo of my own baptism. Uh, my godparents, Jean and Connie Perlowitz, are holding me, and Father Fran Eschweiler is pouring water over my little head. I think I had more hair when I was a few weeks old than I do currently, but be that as it may, um, I put that on the wall just as a reminder of this really hugely important event for us as Christians, for me, but one that, like you said, obviously I didn't know what was happening at the time. Um, it's funny because this, this photo came totally unsolicited in the mail a few years ago from my godparents, and it was only about, I'd say about a month or five weeks after I had read something from the life of Pope John the Twenty-Third. And he was asked one day by a, by a pilgrim to the Vatican, Holy Father, what is the most important day of your life? And I don't know if this pilgrim thought maybe he was going to say, you know, the day I was ordained a priest or the day I was elevated to the chair of Peter. But the Pope said the most important day of my life was my baptism. And I thought that was really profound. And so about a month after that, I get this photo, uh, took it as a sign of, you know, kind of think, calling me to meditate on my own baptism. So anyway, I keep that photo available just to remind me of that day. And our listeners can go see that photo sometime this next week on our Facebook page um, to our gathered uh, at Facebook, because um, I'm sure Father was going to want to post that and share that with all of us. Oh, my. You? Wow. Um, I guess I'd be willing to. Sure. Why not? Why not? I mean, how bad can you look as a baby? I know. Well, you can't really see my face that well. Anyway, you just see the top of my head mostly, but... Yeah, I could go do that. That's a good idea. <laughs> is it your? Is this a bad side? Is that the bad side of you? Is it? <laughs> um, I don't really have a bad side. No, you really don't. No. That's exactly right. <laughs> yeah. All right. I will. Can do you that. tell I've given up, uh, given crap to Father Rob as my Lenten right sacrifice? <laughs> right. That's that's a hopeless one. Don't even try. Uh, so, um, so yeah. Will you post it? I will post it. It's, I mean, you know, we're talking about baptism, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. <sighs> All right. What do you want to cover? What, what, how do you want to start this off? Well, or have we, have we started? We've kind of started, but we can continue. How about we talk about the actual, um, kind of what happens, some of the major effects of baptism or graces of baptism. Should we start there? Well, should, and I ask, and then I immediately nope. uh, say, no, we're going to do something else. Um, let, should we start with uh, why we need to get baptized? Sure, sure. Why do we need to get well, that's baptized? that's really the same question. I'm just approaching it, it from a little different angle. Yeah, <laughs> because the reason we need to get baptized is because it has certain effects that, that are really important for us. So 
Let's talk about those. Um, All right. So, yeah, well, what happens when we're baptized? I mean, obviously the ritual itself is very simple, uh, whether we receive it as an infant, like most of us Catholics, or we receive it as an adult, which some Catholics, uh, when they become Christian as adults, they undergo adult baptism, and in other denominations, uh, uh, sometimes wait until a person is an adult before they're baptized. But yes. in any case, um, you know, a little bit of water and some uh, words and some oil, and so on the surface, it seems quite simple. Um, but what happens, I think, is very profound because one of the things that takes place in baptism is that uh, the original sin that we inherited from our first parents, uh, the sin that kind of marks the soul of every person who's created, that sin is washed away. So that's a very profound reality, that um, in baptism, any, any original sin is just basically taken away by God. And so, in a sense, right after we're baptism, you know, we're kind of the most... Um, pure, the most clean, uh, the holiest that we can be, because at that point there's no stain of original sin. So that's one thing that's very important. And Father Mike Schmitz talks about, I was watching one of these videos, yeah. and he uh, um, he wasn't talking about baptism, but he was saying that uh, baptism uh, brings us back, brings us into alignment with God right. for the first time. Yep. Which is an interesting way to look at it. And then we sin, and then we get out of alignment, and then confession gets us back in alignment. And You know, as you're using that word alignment, I'm thinking about either a, a chiropractor or a, uh, a car that needs to, you know, you go and you take your car in to get realigned, or you go in and get your back realigned. You know, like, just as we go through life, um, things get thrown out of whack, and that's true spiritually, too. And so, like, for us, we'd say that maybe the sacrament of confession is a place where we go to get... Kind of realigned, you know. After well, I uh, didn't, I didn't use alignment. That was Father <laughs> Mike that used alignment. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, host of the most popular podcast in the solar system. Isn't one of our goals though to become as popular as Father Mike, or or if not, surpass him in popularity? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> that may be a little okay. So we're 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 getting off subject here, but um, so I I learned how to uh, see uh, how popular we are in like particular categories. Uh huh. And I found like the top fifty Catholic podcasts. Okay. Yeah, we're not there. <laughs> we're fifty one. Darn it. I, we're, <laughs> we'll just assume we're fifty one. But that that would be quite uh, that if we could, you know, even get up in the top one hundred, that would be cool. But hey, sure. we're, it's not about you know. We're, we're it not isn't. Doing this for the it's fame quality. The it's the quality. it's the quality of the right. people that are listening to us right now. <laughs> exactly. Not the quantity. We don't want the rest of those people. No, listening. no, not at all. We just That's want not the true at all. We love friend. more people. To anyway, so, right, so yeah, so alignments are really. I mean, coming into balance with God, I mm-hmm. think is. Uh, um, I think is a very apt use of the word. That was uh, Father Mike Schmitz, boy. Yeah, he knows what he's saying. He does. I trust. I trust his his view of things. So, yeah. So that's that's obviously a huge thing, right? I mean, we believe that. Even though a baby might be adorable and cute and obviously cannot sin personally yet, that every one of us, uh, as, we're, as we're created and born into this world, we, we do carry that stain of original sin. So that's taken away. We also believe that 
in a real sense, we're recreated in our baptism, uh, just as we're created through the uh, instrumentality of our parents, and, and then we're born in baptism, we're recreated in the sense that spiritually we become now a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father and a brother or sister to Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're, we're really brought into God's family uh, through baptism. Um, we think of baptism as kind of a doorway through which we enter, and then from there, kind of the whole life of the church and all the graces that flow from baptism are, are given to us. But, but that ritual is really what takes us kind of out of the world, in a sense, and brings us into God's family. Um, another way of talking about baptism is saying that uh, through baptism, we're given a seed of faith that's kind of planted in our hearts or in our souls. And just as a seed planted in the ground, eventually, if it's cared for, watered, nurtured, uh, receives everything it needs, it'll, it'll germinate and blossom and bear fruit. You know, the same is true for baptism. Um, a seed is planted, that seed needs to be, you know, taken care of and nurtured, and, and that's done through other sacraments, it's done through the care that the parents and godparents and other people in this young person's life, you know, demonstrate. But um, it's not automatic, you know, there are people who are baptized who don't, you know, later on, don't really live out that baptismal uh, moment. But ideally, uh, baptism uh, begins a whole life of faith that then blossoms into a, an adult life of, uh, of holiness and virtue. And, and well, not to open up a can of worms, but uh, what about the babies that don't get baptized? Yeah, yeah, no, good question. <clears throat> um, you know, I think that obviously we would say that God um, loves all, you know, all people. He created them, and, and uh, so... Um, you know, we would say that an unbaptized person person is is precious in God's sight, but that there's something about baptism that, like, um, in in transforming us and in kind of changing something interiorly deep within our souls, it also gives us sort of a, a special relationship to God, and and uh, so yeah, there. Obviously, a lot of people from other religions that are not Christian and who never undergo baptism, the church would say that you know, not, uh, salvation is not reserved just to Christians or to Catholics, that in a way that God alone knows, uh, other people can also, by following their conscience and kind of living according to the grace that they're given, they can also be brought into, you know, heaven. Um, but that's, that's something God has to kind of, you know, basically... Uh, it's above our pay grade. It is, it is, in the sense that, you know, we believe as Christians that that God has revealed to us, you know, through Jesus and through the scriptures and the church's tradition, that the ordinary path to salvation does involve uh, baptism and the grace that that brings. So, but we're not, we're not, Catholics anyway are not Christians who believe that if you're not baptized, you know, you're consigned to hell or something like that. Um, it's just that... But it, it helps. Oh, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. For, it gets you back to square one, mm-hmm. in which is better than square zero. Indeed. Indeed. That's the argument that I've made to friends who were like, I don't know if I really need to baptize my kids. I was Ooh. like, well, okay. <clears throat> Be a good idea. Yeah. When, what's the harm? Is what, you know, what, what, right. How, how is it a bad thing? How is it a bad thing? Right. Right. So, so there's the sacrament of baptism and I don't want to, if I'm taking this too far off track, then, you know, you let me know. Um, but there's also baptism of desire. Right. So, yeah. So this is where, like, if a, um, let's say somebody who is, 
um, not baptized, but is a catechumen, so somebody who is uh, moving towards baptism, is undergoing instruction and being educated in the faith, but let's say they were to die before baptism, um, you know, their desire there was to be baptized, and, and we would say that God would certainly, you know, acknowledge that or credit that, however, whatever language you want to use, that 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 without it having undergone the actual baptism washing and ritual, uh, they can they can receive that grace because of the fact that they were longing for it and des- and desiring it. And that you know you could even extend that I think to uh, the church would extend that to people who um, are not even catechumens, but let's say right. are not Christians at all. But if they let's say they grew up maybe in a village in India or in Iraq or somewhere where Christianity, uh, you know, they were surrounded by mostly Hindus or Muslims, and they were never really taught about Christianity at all. Or in the deep jungles of the Amazon. Exactly, exactly, yeah. A good example were even more remote areas where people have no inkling of what Christianity is. You know, I think we would say that, you know, there's some of them anyway, if they were taught Christianity, if it was presented to them in a in a positive and attractive way, they might very well have had the desire to be Christian. And so the church kind of, you know, says, yeah, maybe maybe people that know nothing of Christ, but who would desire Christ, had they been taught about him, that they too, uh, I mean, again, they're not undergoing the ritual of baptism, but there's a, there's a way in which their interior desires line up with, with baptism. So, Anyway, all of this is kind of very, you know, complicated theologically, and it, it's kind of mysterious to us, but I think it's just a way that we as Christians try to say that um, even people who are not baptized uh, can be saved and can receive the same kind of graces uh, because, you know, through no fault of their own, they just never knew about Christ or they never had the opportunity to undergo baptism, so... So we were in uh, one time when we were in men's group. One of the uh, one of the wise men of my group um, said that uh, talked about, and I'd never heard about this before. But there is a a third uh, form of baptism, uh, and it's a baptism by blood. Right, and so that refers to uh, martyrdom. And how somebody, right. yeah, now again, somebody who maybe, let's say, is a catechumen, uh, so not baptized, but um, is moving in that direction, and perhaps uh, they're martyred. So, right, just the fact that they laid down their life in kind of that supreme sacrifice, that that, that, that would, you know, bring about the same effects that baptism would give. So, yeah, so these are all different ways of talking about a person who is not baptized in the traditional sense, but who can uh, receive the grace of baptism through, a, you know, another circumstance, which is obviously quite unusual um, and rare, but uh, nonetheless possible. So, Did, uh, Can we bring up the fact that uh, this is the only um, sacrament that uh, lay people can also perform? Sure. Yeah. Is this a bad time? Should we bring it up later? No. no. I can edit it out. <laughs> no, no. It's, you it's, can bring it up and be like, "Really? That's amazing." Per- no, but why don't you? Why don't you run with that since you brought it up? Well, okay. Oh, that's my. Yeah, that's my. <laughs> th- no, but it's. Uh, I think that's really fascinating that in in times of 
um, extreme, uh, extraordinary circumstances, mm-hmm. as long as you are um, baptizing, and so if somebody's dying and they want to be baptized, and there's no priest around, and 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 they ask to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Um, a lay person can baptize that man or woman doesn't matter uh, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you can you can you can baptize people. Now that being said, I have been Godfather on multiple occasions, and not one did the parents say they didn't take me up in the offer. They were like, "No, we got the priest here. We'll have him do it." <laughs> and I've offered. I'm just like, I, you know, I can do this. And they're like, no. No. Oh, shoot. Well, yeah. So, I, I, I hope you're not too disappointed by that. But I'm, I'm happy to be Godfather. I just, you know. Right. But, but, but like you said, these are kind of emer- these are meant to be emergency situations. Extraordinary so. circumstances. Now, you know, what's kind of cool is even, let's say, a Jewish person or a non-Christian who is not baptized, if, uh, if somebody requests baptism, uh, they can baptize too. You don't even have to be a Christian to baptize. So... Uh, all you need to do is say the formula, which you said, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and pour water uh, upon the person's head, and and voila, it's done. So, um, you know, what's kind of what, what this brings up for me, too, as we talk about this, is uh, there was a big controversy a number of years ago in Boston because uh, there was a parish there that for, uh, I think, for at least a year or maybe longer, baptized people in the name of the Creator and the Redeemer and the Sanctifier. Yeah. And that was a big problem because, um, you know, technically speaking, those people were not actually baptized, and so they had to f- try to find them and rebaptize them with the proper formula because, and this gets, now this is going to get, I don't want to go into this too much because it's going to get very technical, but Father, Son, and Spirit are, you know, the names of the Trinity Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier was an effort to get away from like the um, kind of patriarchal language of Father and Son. But the problem is that Creator, Redeemer, Sanctifier, I mean, all three persons of the Trinity are involved in creating, redeeming, and sanctifying. So right. those, are, those are like modes of activity. They're not relations uh, like Father, Son, and Spirit. So anyway, just to say that, you, you know, if anybody out there has the chance to baptize somebody in an emergency, please use Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, because that's the proper formula. But uh, anyway. And why it. try to improve on it? <laughs> exactly. Just right? go with what's, what's tried and true, you know? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's been my feeling on this stuff. Yeah. So why why try to make, why try to reinvent the wheel? Exactly, exactly. We've been doing so, the, we've been at this for about two thousand years, so you know I think we've got it down pretty well. Right, and and that's that's a whole different can of worms. But um, and, and I was just gonna let you like, um, you know, talk and 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 share and 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 lead this whole and thing. Cool. But now I got more questions. Yeah, so. Okay. Um, is this so, like stump the priest or something? I don't know. Sure no, but it's these. it's all it's all uh, circling around baptism. Okay. Um, I think a lot of people will ask this question or have asked this question: Why why did Jesus uh, need to be baptized? Yeah. There's this whole thing, and we just covered it. Didn't we just cover it? Wasn't this? Uh, no, this we haven't hit that. Ma- I don't that think so. One. No, that's not that hasn't come up yet. Okay. Um, but, but it's a very good question. It is a good question. Because if, if baptism, if one of the main effects 
and graces of baptism is that it erases original sin. Of course, Jesus himself, being the Son of God, is without sin. So why does he baptize? Why does he undergo baptism? And I think the church um, would respond in a couple of different ways. First of all, um, Jesus, in a sense, doesn't get baptized for himself, but he gets baptized to kind of be a model or an example for us. Um, you'll remember that at his baptism, um, when he came up out of the waters, we're told in the Gospels that the Holy Spirit alights upon him and that the Father's voice is heard to say, you know, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So part of it is really for us that, you know, when we get baptized, we're given the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and those are then deepened at confirmation, another sacrament. And, you know, we are made a son or daughter of our Heavenly Father who then really looks on us and with great delight, and so um, he's well pleased with us. So part of it is kind of giving us an example or a model. But then the other thing, and this is kind of cool, a lot of the early church fathers write about this, that in, in going down into the Jordan River to be baptized, Jesus is really consecrating the baptismal waters, that like because of his baptism, all, all baptismal waters now are, are kind of made holy. So uh, it's kind of a neat thought, you know, that by going down into the Jordan, and, and some of us have gone to, um, you know, the Holy Land and have gone to the Jordan River and seen <clears throat> what is the traditional place where Jesus was baptized. So to think that kind of in that event, which took place, you know, again, it's real history, about 2,000 years ago, he actually plunged himself into the Jordan River, that, that more spiritually now, that's made, made sacred all the waters of, that are used for, you know, for, bap, for baptism purposes. Um, so that would be, I guess, my, my two cents. Well, no, and uh, well explained. But would it be fair to say that um, Christ, through the act of being baptized, um, that there was a, it, this has been my understanding, you're going to tell me that I'm wrong and that my theology degree, I didn't study hard enough, um, which is a very fair statement. But uh, when, prior to Christ's baptism, um, baptisms were occurring, but they didn't have the same uh, impact. That's a poor choice of words. Then when, after Christ was baptized, and and John even refers to it that mm-hmm. that uh, I baptize you with water and the one who who follows me or comes after me is going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit, right. and that wasn't being done prior to that. Um, it was you know it's like marriages prior to uh, the the uh, Christ were contracts. They were social contracts. Mm-hmm. They weren't they weren't a sacrament. Right. And then Jesus comes along, and now marriage is is a sacrament, yep. and it's it's a and it's the same can be true for uh, baptism. Mm-hmm. Am, am I right about that one? Yeah, I, I think you are right, and and you're hit, you're really um, hitting upon an important principle, which is that with the coming of the Son of God and in, in Jesus Christ, that that takes um, things that existed already, but kind of elevates them and gives them you know higher value and purpose. So to stay with baptism, like you said, John the Baptist, right? I mean, he was baptizing people, and they would go to the Jordan. And it was actually meant to be a baptism for repentance and forgiveness, so, but it was right. more of a sign of that. It couldn't really accomplish the, uh, the actual forgiveness 
the way that it could happen after Jesus's baptism. So, um, yeah, so something that's a little more like symbolic or implicit in the Old Covenant, with Jesus now it's made more explicit and, and just a more profound spiritual reality. Um, I think, too, one thing we could say about Jesus's baptism is, you know, he's about 30 years old when he gets baptized, and he's had all this development, all this growing up and life up into that point, but now he's about to break onto the public scene, and he's going to have these three years of public ministry. So the baptism also becomes um, kind of an inaugural event that launches him, you know, kind of into the public sphere, you could put it that way, that, yeah. you know, that, that the Father's voice is heard, you know, this is my beloved Son, and so it's sort of like he's He's being stamped or approved or affirmed as God's son, and then and then he goes off and begins these three years of preaching and teaching and working miracles. So, um, in that sense, too, it, it's kind of uh, an important moment in his in his life, in his earthly life, you know, in his human nature. Um, but you remember when when Jesus goes to get baptized by John the Baptist, like John the Baptist initially is really skittish, and he's like, "Well, this isn't right," and Jesus says, "Well, let's just." you know, do it for all righteousness right now. And so John the Baptist himself realized that, in fact, he even says to Jesus, you, you know, I should be baptized by you. And, and he's right in a, in a real way. But Jesus underwent this as a sign also of his humility. You know, he's got a human body. He's got a whole human nature. He wants to embrace his human nature fully. And so by undergoing baptism, we're not saying that Jesus in any way was tarnished by sin, but it's just one more way in which he's embracing fully his human nature and um, and giving us, you know, kind of an example of, of what it means to be a full human being. So, you know, that's another angle on it. Well, and it's like when he was being presented in the temple when he was a child, when he was a baby. Right. It's, uh, that it, 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 is it necessary to uh, present um, um, Jesus, who is God? And it's like, well... It's kind of you know self-serving at that point, but right. um, but because he's doing that, because he's get, he's he's doing that to demonstrate that um, he's 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 fully human, mm-hmm. and the the baptism is another example of that where where he agrees to it uh, to show his, his humanity, his full humanity. Exactly, exactly. That's a good point. So we can point to all different kinds of events and moments in his life where technically speaking, as God. He doesn't need to do any of this, but he's, he is a God who has taken on a full human nature, and, and so he needs to kind of live in that and through that. Even his death on the cross, I mean, again, he doesn't, as God, he can't die, but he chooses to wed a human body to himself, and that body can undergo death, which he does, not for himself, but, but precisely for us. So everything, in a sense, everything that Jesus does, it's for us um, and on our, on our behalf. Because, we, you know, we, without, without his intervention, we would have been just completely lost and broken and unable to do anything. So by, by taking our human nature and redeeming it and uniting it to his divinity, he is, he's elevating it and transforming it into something awesome, you know. So... Yeah, anyway. Um, you know, I wonder, maybe at this point, I could just briefly touch on this uh, thought that we were talking about before we started recording about how one of the things that our baptism does is it allows us 
to actually share in a triple like identity or a triple mission of Jesus. Um, should we do that? Well, uh, what have you been waiting for? My uh, goodness, let's let's let, do it. <laughs> you, I've, I'm just like well, he's going to cover this at some point. I know, I know. I'll, I'll just keep on asking questions until he decides to cover this. I'm going to keep this kind of succinct because we don't want to go too long with this. But we could go hours. I could, I could. Believe me, and I have, but I won't this time. Um, no, I, I think one of the things that I think a lot of our listeners probably do not hear very often, whether it's from the pulpit or in their, you know, Catholic school, um, is that our baptism actually makes us participants in three different kind of vocations, if you will, um, or identities that Jesus Christ himself has. And they are the, the vocation of being a priest, of being a prophet, and being a king. So maybe just a brief word on each one of those. Um, first of all, I think most Catholics would say the you know to be a priest to be a priest in the church means that you're ordained in a separate sacrament, and you know they think about the priest you know Father Joe or Father John in their parish, and so they think they think in a very restricted way of priesthood. In the same way that we often take the word vocation, and we even even today still we say you know I'm we need to pray for vocations, and we usually mean by that a priestly vocation or consecrated life we need to kind of broaden the word vocation to include baptized Christians because, you know, they have a vocation too. And in the same way, priesthood, in a, in a more narrow sense, it means like the priesthood that I receive through my ordination. We in the church call this the ministerial priesthood or the ordained priesthood. But really, my priesthood, it exists in order to serve the priesthood of the laity, and this is all language that comes right out of both Scripture and Vatican II. So I'm not making this stuff up. This is not heresy. But um, I'm ordained really to serve all the baptized men and women in the church so that they can be better priests. Um, now, what does that mean? I mean, obviously, they're not celebrating Mass like I am. They're not. But I celebrate Mass so that I can give the Eucharist to the lay faithful who then exercise their priesthood in their families and in their workplaces. And, and basically, it's taking the world that they inhabit and lifting it up and offering it to God as a sacrifice and, and really consecrating it and making it holy. Um, just as I consecrate the bread and wine at the Eucharist, um, lay Catholics consecrate their families and their jobs and the world of like politics and economics and all of that. I mean, if, if, if the world is made holy by the Incarnation, technically speaking, um, all of it's meant to be brought up into the kingdom, you know? So uh, I want to just really well, encourage anybody who's can, listening to think about that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, I just, I was going to, I, I, I want to push back a little bit, mm -hmm. and you'll tell me that I'm wrong, and then we'll go with <laughs> your opinion, do, and I'll, that's fine. I'll find a tactful um, way to say it. But so I think that baptism, um, while it does a lot of things, um, that you know, it's it's an indelible mark on our soul. Mm -hmm. It's it 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 brings us into alignment with with God. Um, I push back a little bit on the vocation thing because I and I get in arguments with people all the time about this. Mm -hmm. um, but I I think that um, the true definition of a vocation is something that we have to actually choose ourselves mm -hmm. and can't be just imposed upon us. So, and you know, I'm probably just 
parsing words here, um, but that we're born into a vocation. We have the option for that vocation, um, but, you know, it's uh, like I could be um, if it's my vocation and then I don't do anything about it. Is mm-hmm. it really my vocation or do I have to does this give me the opportunity to choose this as a vocation? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, Is that stupid. Well, no, I'm just trying to I want to make sure I understand what you're saying, because the word vocation to me, like the root of it, vocare, is to call, so so it's a yeah. calling, right? And yes, uh, implicit in a call is, is a response, so that we can ignore the call, we can deny the vocation, I guess, that's true. Um, and, that, and, and I would say that's true of this baptismal vocation, too. You can undergo baptism, and like you said, I'm glad you brought up this point, because I we could have said it earlier, that there is what we call an indelible mark on the soul. In other words, once you're baptized, you're never rebaptized, and you can never really undo baptism. You can decide not to live it out, um, but you can't really undo the, the deep ontological, there's a big word, the change that goes on in a person's soul. That's correct. And likewise, so all I, like when, I, when I say that you, Jim, for example, as a, as a baptized Catholic layman, that you're a priest, like, you don't have to live that out if you choose, but but I want to say that kind of implicit in your baptism is this call to make, like, your family life and your work life um, a place where God's grace um, is found, and, and it's somehow meant to be brought up into the kingdom of God. Right, and I agree with that. I think it's 100% that we, um, we have the opportunity, then, to do that. Yeah, I just get a little hung up on the word vocation. Yeah, you yeah. you've chosen the vocation of becoming a priest. You actively chose yeah. that. Mm-hmm. The other part that ties in with what I'm saying is that you actively work. Oh, I'll just even make it personal. Um, I chose the vocation of being married and being a husband. If I don't work on that every single day, yep. To, to be a better husband for my wife, to be a, a better husband in the eyes of the Lord, mm-hmm. then, then I'm, you know, the, the marriage is nowhere. Right. But, but there's, if, if, if you don't, you know, I don't know, I may edit this out. <laughs> <laughs> I might edit this part. Well, I, it's just, you know, it's, 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 uh, you have to, you got to choose a vocation is yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I, I totally agree with you on that. And I think really, the neat thing about vocation is there's different levels of vocation or maybe different, there's multiple vocations. So, for example, you're talking about the vocation to be a husband and father, and I think that is really important. Um, that's not opposed to, but it's sort of complementary to the vocation as a baptized Christian to be, let's say, a priest in the world, because a single person can do that. Uh, their, their vocation might be to sanctify not their marriage and family because they're single, but sanctify their friendships and sanctify their um, professional life and stuff like that. Um, Pope Francis actually said that uh, to be a saint is not a privilege for the few, but a vocation for everyone. So there's another way of talking about vocation. Maybe our most fundamental vocation before being an ordained priest like me or a husband and father, you know, husband and father like you, is to be a saint. And that's like the most fundamental vocation because a saint is just a man or a woman who is a friend of God and gets to heaven. And so, so anyway, I think the, the neat thing about vocation is it's kind of a, an elastic word, and we can kind of like see different types of vocation as baptized Christians. And the only one I'm just trying to highlight 
now, well, that I've been highlighting is about the priest, you know, being a priest, because I think that's foreign to a lot of people. People tend to think that only a small group of people are priests and everybody else is laity, and, and in one way that's true, but I'm trying to also highlight that um, even lay people have a, 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 a type of priesthood that they share in with Jesus. Um, and the same would be true of prophet and king. So, you know, what does it mean for you as a layman to be a prophet? Well, it means that you have a prophetic witness with your life, you have a prophetic voice, and you can exercise that in all kinds of ways, whether it's writing a, a legislator about some political issue that you want to, you know, you think should be changed, or whether it's uh, protesting at the local abortion clinic, or, you know, there's, or making the sign, I mean, making the sign of the cross in a restaurant, it can be a very prophetic witness. Without saying a word, you're, you're, you're making the sign that other people might see and then wonder, well, what's that, what's that all about? So, um, so, so to be a prophet is not the role only of a few uh, restricted people, but in a sense, we're all called through our baptism to uh, be a prophet. And Would you say that going back to the yep. the royal order of priesthood, um, that the being called to be a priest, prophet, and king, the priest part, it's been my understanding that that is primarily um, in. Um, caring for others and and trying to provide healing like that's that's the priestly duty that's being referred to it's, it's is that fair I, I think I think that's definitely part of it but I would I would add to that that um, like one of the main jobs of the priest ordained priest whether that whether that was like the old covenant Old Testament priesthood or now the Christian priesthood like one of the things I do is I offer sacrifice. I offer the sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, I keep in my breviary a list of prayer intentions, and every morning I lift those up to the Lord. So a lot of what I do is trying to, like, be a bridge. Uh, in fact, now that I'm saying that word, the, the word pontiff, which is one of our titles for the Pope, pontiff means bridge. So as an ordained priest, I try to be a bridge between God and the world. And I think that um, one of the ways that a layperson exercises their priesthood is also by kind of offering their whole life, all the dimensions of their life, as a sacrifice. And in fact, some of our listeners may be familiar with the um, what we call the daily offering. Uh, the Apostleship of Prayer has this daily offering that literally millions of people around the world recite every day. And there's different versions of it, but one of them is, God, our Father, I offer you my day. I offer you my prayers, thoughts, words, actions, joys, and sufferings in union with the heart of Jesus for the salvation of the world. So this whole idea of like offering and sacrifice, I think that's another dimension in addition to what you said about caring and healing. Um, so again, yeah, it's, it's a pretty broad thing. We can talk about it under different uh, dimensions. Um, so priest, prophet, and then king. Now again, what does that mean? How, how am I as a baptized Catholic out there being a king? Well, one, one of the ways is, I think, trying to build up the kingdom of God um, and serving the kingdom of God. I mean, Jesus was a king, but he, he was a servant king and a suffering king. So I think we're called to be the same. You know, we're called to kind of exercise a certain, um, you know, governance uh, o- over the world and trying to make it a, a holier place. Uh, our whole Catholic social teaching, uh, which is very rich, uh, has wonderful ways in which we can exercise that that leadership, that servant leadership. And then just trying to be also a king over myself. You know, we all know in our fallen state how kind of unruly 
and uh, rebellious, you know, things like anger and lust and things like that can be in our life. So to the extent that we're trying to exercise a royal or kingly authority over our baser appetites by using our intellect and using our will, you know, that already is a great kind of kingly function or mission, just trying to bring some order to uh, the unruliness of our passions. Um, so anyway, these are I'm just kind of hinting at things that we could talk a lot more about. But but uh, well, and it's it's the downside to that if there's a downside um, is is like since we're all on the same level playing field mm-hmm. with regard to that, like I can't go to my wife and be like, well, you know, I am a king. <laughs> well, she's, she's a queen. Like, who, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Get, <laughs> Go take out the garbage. Right? Default, yeah. Well, again, these it have to be understood in the right way. <laughs> I mean, you know, you look at some of this stuff, and a, and, and a lot of this stuff really is towards um, what we can do for others, yeah, not yeah, necessarily in what we receive. Right, right, right. You know, it's like, oh, king. It's like, oh, it's no, no, no. It's, it's really not a working. Trip, a power it's trip, a working right. thing. Exactly, exactly. Well, and again, Jesus is our <laughs> he own, stuff to do. Jesus is our model here, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you know, he's a he's a king that actually literally lays down his life for the world. I mean, that's the kind of kingship we need. It's not the kind right. that goes out and picks up a weapon and you know kills more people or something. You know, that's not right. But, you know, we, I mean, a lot of kings throughout history, like you think about in the Middle Ages or, I mean, you know, today most kings and queens and monarchs are kind of figureheads. But when they had real power, they did lead their people into battle and they fought enemies. Now, I'm not suggesting we go start a war, but we do have, we are in a spiritual battle. And so to the extent that we're combating sin or trying to stand up to Satan, um, you know, we are, we are exercising in that sense a, a royal or kingly or queenly function, you know. Um, so anytime we're doing leadership well and we're exercising a servant leadership and, and courageously battling whatever our enemies are, namely sin and Satan, uh, we're, we're kind of functioning as a king there. Another unavoidable um, responsibility as king, as a king, is, is, is being an example. Totally, yes. That's, that's and you know, we have to hit on that one. Oh yeah! If, if you're sure. going to actually honor the role of priest, prophet, and king, and focusing on the third one, mm-hmm. um, you gotta you gotta set the right example. And mm-hmm. if you're not doing it, you're not. And you think about like King Louis Saint, right? Saint Louis, uh, King Louis the Ninth. Um, yeah, what a great model of a king he was for people. I mean, he was very charitable and Christian, and so now we today we might talk about political leaders, you know, and unfortunately in our in our day and age we often, you know, have bad examples of political leadership and we tend to get very cynical about politics. From a Catholic standpoint, political life is hugely important and, and should be infused with virtue. So you can you know, we can all probably think about certain politicians, be they presidents, governors, you know, mayors, uh, legislators that we really admire and we think that they're they're really cooperating with God's kingdom through their um, political leadership. So you know, well, we we'll have a conversation offline where you're going to point out a couple of those people to me because <laughs> I was hoping you were. I'm do. not seeing that right now, Father. Right. I, we're not going to get political on this no. podcast, but uh, <laughs> I'm not seeing a whole lot of role models not there for lot. anyone to pay attention to. Right. Well, good. Well, I think we've right. successfully, uh, you know, at least dabbled in a very important topic, and maybe we can revisit it sometime. But uh, well, I think so. There's probably more that we could talk about i'm sure 
I didn't take us too far off the rails, I hope. No. no. And I'm a little proud of myself that I didn't bring up King Kong as an example. (laughs) That was the only king that (laughs) was coming up. Well, think about the kings, Jim. It's like... uh, That's a classic movie, though. King Kong. It's it's awesome. I love that. uh, There's one. Well, the uh, King Kong versus Godzilla is coming out this month. Yes. Okay. Really? Very exciting. Yeah, I'm very excited. Oh, wow. Okay. Look forward to that. So... Um, all right, so we got that covered. We've gone well over our normal allotted time, so yeah. maybe do a little editing. I don't know. Um, and uh, you got a product for us and stuff that we like. I do. <laughs> I knew this fun. was going to happen. I, I thought about this earlier. I hadn't thought of a product. Um, well, I'm I've got us covered, Father. Oh, you can you're save so your good. product for you're next so time. Okay, thank you. Uh, um, a, uh, a friend of mine, the leader of our my men's group, um, critically acclaimed David Morse, um, mm-hmm. and I had coffee last week, and he gave me a copy of um, the uh, apostolic letter from uh, Pope France, Francis on St. Joseph. Yes. And uh, if you've had an opportunity... And you didn't, and you're still sticking with us, but you haven't heard our first inaugural episode. It was all about the consecration to Saint Joseph. Um, our uh, our entire church is uh, dedicating this year to uh, Saint Joseph. Mm-hmm. Um, our diocese—I don't know if every diocese is, uh, has been. Our diocese got consecrated to Saint Joseph this year. Does every diocese, or is that just? Uh, us? I honestly don't know. I think it's I probably up either. to the, each uh, bishop or archbishop. But. But the uh, the apostolic letter is called Patrice Corday, and uh, a critically acclaimed actor David Morris gave me a copy of it, and I highly recommend to anybody uh, to go ahead and read that. And I'll put a link in the descriptor box, and then you know also encourage people if you haven't listened to our first episode, go back and listen to uh, when Father and I consecrated ourselves to Saint Joseph because mm-hmm. it was a pretty big deal and it was pretty cool. I agree. I agree. That's a good right. good suggestion for for our listeners. All right. Well, and watch King Kong versus Godzilla. <laughs> that's the other. That's our other stuff that we like. You get two this week, folks. Look, look at that. Two for the price of one. I don't know if that's going to be good or not. I'm really looking forward to it, though. But hey, how about a prayer, Father? You want to pray for us? Be happy to. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit. We're grateful for this time that we've had to talk about baptism and the graces that flow from that important sacrament. We ask you to help us to live out our baptismal vocation uh, more completely and with greater dedication. Uh, We ask that uh, we might consecrate the world through our uh, priesthood, our prophetic actions, and our royal vocation so that we might um, offer to you uh, a kingdom that uh, that will be holy and infused with your grace. And I want to just uh, call upon now the Holy Spirit to descend upon all who are listening to this podcast and to bless them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jim. All right. Another week well done. All right. All right. <laughs> You folks, uh, have a good week. Stay in Lent. Um, Share with us. Uh, Find us on Facebook at tourgather.com. Send us an email at mail at tourgather.com. Or whatever, you know, just reach out to us. Reach out. We love to hear from you. We do. So, 
Thanks, Father. All Have right. a good week. You too, Jim. God bless everybody. Bye-bye.